All right, this morning, uh, we are going to go to Isaiah chapter number 30. Isaiah chapter number 30. Now, we've been talking for a few Sundays. Uh, we, we dealt with this matter of King Josiah in Second Chronicles chapter number 34. And uh, we, we understood that, that Josiah had a heart for reformation. Josiah was trying to set some things in order in the land, right? Josiah was trying to do right. His heart was to do right. But we understand that he started reforming before he had the word of God. We understand through his reformation, the word of God was found. And uh, we understand that, uh, that he had reformation before he had revelation. And we see the written word of God made a profound impact upon him. And because of that, we understand a holy and righteous God being a God of restitution was also a God of reprieve, Right? And so we made this, this, this statement that reformation without revelation is adulteration, okay? And so let's, let's look here. We looked at 1 Samuel last week, chapter number 3, and we looked at Eli. And we understand that Eli had revelation. He knew what was right. He was a priest who knew, high priest, he knew uh, what was right. His sons were priests and his sons were not doing what they should do. They did not even know God. They didn't even need to be in the position that they were in. But he had revelation without reformation. Eli was not willing to reform anything. Uh, he, he did not restrain, the Bible says, his children. And so there was no restraint. And we see that a God of restitution uh, became also a God of removal. For he had revelation without reformation and, and having the revelation or the understanding of God's expectations in his word without reformation being willing to reform yourself based upon that revelation. That revelation without reformation brings annihilation, right? It only, it, it, it costs the power of God in the land. And so Eli, he fell over and broke his neck because he could not comprehend the severity of what had happened by having lost the ark of God to the hands of the Philistines. And then we find that he has a grandson that is born and uh, this child is named Ichabod and the reason being is because the power of God, uh, God had been removed from the land, okay? And so we, we don't want that. We want the power of God, right? We're wasting our time this morning being in God's house if we're not here uh, looking to Jesus Christ, our Lord, uh, to help us this morning. All right, and I, I got other things to do. I got other things that need to be done right now, Brother Shane, if we're not going to do what we're going to do here for the glory and for the honor of God. I got plenty of, I got a list of responsibilities a mile long that I need to get done. And I'm not coming here to waste my time. I'm coming here to hear from the Lord and, and to, to praise and magnify Him. But we see that reformation uh, without revelation is adulteration. We see that revelation without reformation brings annihilation. But here's what I want to look at if I can uh, for just a few minutes this morning. We're going to look at the revolution of revelation. Say, what do you mean? Well, if you will, Isaiah chapter number uh, 30. And uh, we're going to look in verses number 7. All right? Chapter number 30. 
Let's just start in verse 1. I want, to, I want you to grab the context of this. And so let me just start in chapter 30, verse 1. I'm going to read a little bit of lengthy uh, scripture here. So if you will, this morning, just keep your seats because I'm not sure what, uh, how, we'll, how we'll flow through this. The Bible says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Now, if we'll think for just a moment concerning King Josiah, King Josiah was reforming, but he was reforming without the word of God being the authority that caused him to make the decisions that he made. And when the word of God was found and brought to him and read in his hearing, the word of God pricked his heart and caused him to rend his clothes, right? And he was distressed because he knew that the life that they had been living did not meet up to the standard in which the word of God was calling for, right? Okay, so having said that, right here in chapter 30 of Isaiah, the Bible says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. So the children of Israel were listening to counsel, but they were not getting their counsel from the Lord. And what we've been dealing with for the past several Sunday mornings is this thought and we're, we're leading up into this, into some things that the Lord is working on my heart about is the reverencing of scripture. All right. Reverencing scripture. And so having said that, we, we understand the importance of scripture and the word of God. We see that Jesus used the word of God in, in written form. We find that Abraham in paradise was talking to uh, the rich man in hell and he went back to the written word of God. And we find here that the written word of God makes a vast impact upon Josiah's life, not only personally, but as he led the children of God, as he was the king, understand, okay? So, so having said that, now we look at Eli, he's got revelation, he knows what's right, uh, but he's not willing to reform, he's not willing to restrain, he's not willing to get a handle on it. Now, Eli was approached by God's people about the sins of his sons. And he allowed them to go without restraint. So you could agree with me that Eli did nothing. Eli heard the word of God. He knew what was expected. He, he was profound in the things of God. But it took the people of God coming to him to, about his sons. And so when he, when he hears the frustration coming from the people of God, he goes to his sons and he mentions to them their sin. So he knows right from wrong, he's called it like it is. So because he's called it like it is, there's an expectation now for him to do something. See, Eli was the one that had the authority and it was Eli that was spoke to by God or from God about this sin. So having said that, we understand here uh, that Eli did not restrain them. So you would say that Eli ignored what was right. Uh, he did hear it. But he didn't take heed to it. Now let me say this. Do you think that Eli believed it? Sure he believed it. He knew that when Samuel come to him and told him what God said, he said, well, let God do as he pleases. God's going to do as he wants to do. So he understood the authority of God. He understood that God was sovereign. He understood that God was going to do what God thought was best. 
And he understood what was right and what was wrong, but he chose not to do anything about it. Now listen, there's a lot of people today that in this world that we live in, they don't know anything about God's Word. We just dealt with on Sunday night, Psalm 73, how Asaph got crossed up knowing what was right, looking at a people that, that were not, uh, did not have a relationship with God, and it got to the place where he even sometimes longed to have been like they were. Why? Because his thinking was messed up. And he got crossed up, and, and, and he didn't realize that at the end of it all, that short life that they were all living, that there was an eternity out there waiting, right? Okay, so he gets his mind right. But here's what I want you to see. Eli, being as such that he knows what's right, and he hears what's right, but he will not do what is right. And that brings me to this, this portion that I want to deal with concerning reverencing Scripture, uh, concerning the revolution of revelation. Now understand with me, let me make a blanket statement. People get to the place uh, where, where they, they get sick of hearing and they get sick of ignoring and they have to do two things. They either have to leave because they're sick of hearing it or, or they want to reform it into their way of thinking. What, what, what is reforming what? They want to take what God has to say and either extract only the good things out of it that please their flesh or they long to change what God is saying or they long for the person that stands and proclaims the word of God to only proclaim it in a fashion that pleases their flesh. And so here's what I want to deal with. The God of revelation is a God of preservation. Now I'm not going to deal with the King James Bible, although these verses of scripture, some can be utilized in, in our stand of defending the King James Bible. But let me remind you this morning that Psalms 12 and 6 says the words of the Lord are pure words, right? So as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now the word of God, understand that the Lord is keeping a record, Brother Gene. Every idle word that comes out of your mouth and out of my mouth is being written down. We will stand before God. I, I say that. I say we'll stand before Him. We will bow before Him. We'll be before Him, but we will not be standing. And we will be judged upon the things in which has come out of this mouth. Now, if you're saved by the grace of God, you will not be judged in the fashion of which you will be going to hell, but you will be judged by the works in which you've produced for that of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not saved by works. We're saved by, by faith. We're saved by grace because we put our hope and trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, but let me say this. Why did he preserve his word? Because two things, his words are pure, his words are truth. He's esteemed his word higher than his own name, will be judged by the word of God. So when the Lord comes to us, now what was it that the Lord done on the road to Emmaus? He took, when his visible body was not being seen for what it was, when Cleopas seen Jesus Christ, he did not recognize him for who he was. 
But Christ took the scripture and started in the book, in the, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, and he went through uh, the prophets and he explained to them the scripture and it burned in their heart. The Lord uses the scripture. The Lord is going to judge us by the word of God. It does not matter whether we like it. It does not matter if we agree with it. It does not matter if it offends us. When we are on our knees before God standing uh, at the judgment seat of Christ having been saved by the grace of God knowing the price that was paid for you and for me to know that we are to, to give our bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is our reasonable service the word of God will be brought back to our attention. Can I say to you what Oprah said about it and what Dr. Phil said about it or what they said on 60 Minutes or MNBC or ABC or Fox News or anything else will not be brought up at the judgment seat. All the times we've spent watching Fox News will not be brought back up at the judgment seat. But what's said in the word of God and what thus saith the Lord will be what our Holy Father brings to our attention. So if it's what God is using for a judgment book, a book of standard, you and I should also utilize God's word for a book of standard. Okay, so having said that, I, I'll be honest with you, when I'm going to be judged by, I want to know something about it. You understand that? I'm going to be responsible for my job at work. I better know something about it. You sign up and fill out a, an application to do a job, and uh, the requirement to that job is such that you should have 10 plus years of experience. You may lie on that application, but they're going to find out real fast if you know anything about that job or not. You understand what I'm saying? And so the proof is in the pudding, if you allow me to use that expression. And so here's what I want us to understand. The God of revelation is a God of preservation. He's not only left his revealed word for us, but he's preserved it. And it's not just preserved for generations to come, but it's preserved because he's going to use it again one of these days as well. All right? So we get to the place where some people would prefer that the word of God uh, not be brought out in its entirety. Now, now you hold your place. I'm going to use Isaiah chapter 30. But I want you to look with me as you hold your place in Isaiah 30. And I want you to look real quick with me in Luke chapter number 2. I want to show you something. And I'd rather read it to you to bring this point across. Okay? I don't want to mess these scriptures up. So Luke chapter number 2. The Bible. Let me, let me start in Luke 1. And just let me read you something real quick. Uh, let's start in Luke 1 and verse number 31. Now the Bible says, and just follow along with me for just a minute. This will make sense in a minute. It's not going to make sense right now. The Bible says, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. So we know automatically that, that the angel's speaking to Mary here, and Mary is going to conceive a son. That ain't no big deal. Women do that all the time. Right? And shalt call his name, unless you're a woman, it's a big deal. But it says here, and shalt call his name Jesus. So now he got a name. Then it says, he shall be great. Well, that's wonderful. Any woman that has a child wants him to be great. And shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Mary's scratching her head right here. Things are starting to not make so much sense. Said, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. 
So now Mary has questions. She says, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now she understands what's going on. Not just that she's going to have a son. Not just that the son's name is Jesus. Not just that the son named Jesus is going to be great. But this great son whose name is Jesus is the son of God. Now you imagine, if you will for just a moment, just what a shock that would be to you. Minding your own business one day and suddenly an angel appears and it reveals to you, and reveals to you that great truth. Now, go with me to chapter 2 of Luke for just a moment. And let me read to you a quick portion of scripture. The Bible says in verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that the world should be taxed. Uh, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. All right, and I'm in the wrong spot here. Let's see, where do I need to be? Verse 41, excuse me. Chapter 2, verse 41. Now his parents were, well, went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. Uh, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolks and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple. So they had lost him. They had searched for him for three days. And the Bible says, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished. So this son that the angel has told Mary that she's going to have, who is great, whose name is Jesus, who is the Son of God. We find that he is sitting in the temple in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. He's corresponding with them at the ripe age of 12 years old. All right? So the Bible says here, and all that heard him were astonished. Why? Because he was great. He was living up to the, uh, to the, to the, uh, to the saying that the angel had spoken unto Mary. All right? And so his reputation was such as he was living up to what was said of him. Uh, and they was astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold thy father, and I have sought thee sorrowing. Now, I've, I've read these verses millions of times, preached out of these verses a whole bunch. And many messages of different, uh, different things that the Lord has shown me. But here's what I want you to see in verse 48. The Bible said, Thy father, and I have sought thee sorrowing. She's speaking of Joseph, not God. She's called him son. And she's speaking of the fact that her and Joseph had searched for three days frantically for Jesus. And could not find him. And finally after three days it dawned on them he may be at the temple. They went everywhere but the last place they went was the first place they lost him down at God's house. And so they go back down to God's house and there they find him. The, the doctors and such were amazed at what he was saying. And mama does what mamas do. Mama gets on to him. And she says, son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrow. So she's speaking of Joseph. Notice what Jesus says. 
And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business. Verse number 48, we see the father. Verse number 49, we see the father. But Mary is talking about Father Joseph, and Jesus is talking about Father God. You know what happened here? Mary's mindset was on worldly things. God's, Jesus' mindset was on heavenly things. And you know what happens when some people have their minds on worldly things while others have their mind on heavenly things? They don't always make sense when they're dealing with one another. Some people are searching carnally for things and some people are dealing with heavenly things. And you see the confusion. How is it a woman that's minding her own business one day has an angel appear unto her and told that she's going to conceive in her womb a child. It's not going to come by a man, but it's going to come by the Holy Ghost of God. His name's going to be Jesus. He's going to be great. And he is, by the way, the Son of God. But in 12 years' time, Brother Shane, she'd got carnal. What was she doing? They'd went uh, to, to present... They, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. They were at the Passover. You know what the Passover represents? The Passover represents the blood that was applied at the doorpost and the lintel back in Egypt when Jesus Christ uh, did not kill the firstborns or the boys, if you will, that were in the homes because the blood had been applied. They were observing something that Jesus Christ is going to do in the future and she so carnally forgot what it was she was dealing with. Everything become ritualistic. Everything had become religious. She was meeting her obligations. But she even walked off and left Jesus back at the temple, didn't know where to find him, and then when she got down there she rebukes him and talks to him about her his father Joseph and he was down at the temple talking about his father God now here's what I want you to see they understood not the saying which he spake unto them it was over their head it went right above them but notice this although they didn't understand it they understood there was some significance to it so how do you know notice this and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. In other words, they were the boss. He had to do what mama said to do. Mama went and got him. And Jesus was subject to his mother. And the Bible says here, but his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Now here's what I want you to understand. She didn't understand everything Jesus was saying. She didn't get everything Jesus had spoken. But she knew that what he said, there was some significance to it. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. What he says, you may not always understand everything. But it behooves you today to understand that what he says, there is some significance to it. You don't have to like it. Mary didn't appreciate having to search three days for Jesus. But I want to say it wasn't Jesus' fault. It wasn't Jesus' fault that Mary didn't know where Jesus was at. But because she had failed to do her part in this thing, in her position, when she finally does get down there to him, she lights into him. She was frustrated with him. And he was doing what he come and was sent of God to do. Did you know that some people do what God sent them to do and others don't like it? Others don't appreciate it. Others wish that it wasn't that way. Others wish they were not inconvenienced because there were some people that was willing to do what God sent them to do. It's an inconvenience for some. 
Listen, Mary was not a woman who purposed to be inconvenienced by Jesus. She gave her body. She, she says she was willing to do what, listen, she was excited. She went to see Elizabeth. It was an amazing day when she found out she was going to give birth to the Son of God. But over a period of time, doing ritualistic religious things and obligations, it got to the place where Jesus, doing the will of God, became an inconvenience for her. And she simply allowed it to happen by being sidetracked by other things and daily obligations. She had a, a trip to take back home. She was just going through her everyday life, doing her everyday routine. Doing her year by year uh, obligations. Yet she comes down on Jesus because Jesus is doing what God wants him to do. Now, now let, me, let me take you through this progression. We go from her understanding that she's going to give birth to Jesus and who Jesus is. To him being 12 years old and understanding that she didn't know what he was driving at. But she knew that there was some significance to what Jesus had to say. I want to say this to you. It's significant what Jesus has to say. Now we go to John chapter number 2. Let me show you John chapter number 2. He was doing his father's business. She didn't understand it. And she, be honest with you, didn't go down there to the temple that day to promote him doing the father's business. She went down there to correct him, straighten him out, because like any mother would be when they lose their child, she was worried sick. And you do understand the responsibility that must have been on Mary's shoulder to know that she was bringing up the Son of God. Hey, it's a responsibility for you and I to be surrounding ourselves with the things of the Lord. But notice with me, if you will, we get down here to the marriage at Cana, the first miracle. Notice that with me. This is the first miracle of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in verse 1, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Now notice the problem here. There's an issue. Mary is aware of the issue. You know who Mary goes to about the issue? Not the person that was responsible for having the, the refreshments at the wedding. She goes to Christ, her son. The Bible says that when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, they have no wine. Jesus said unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. In other words, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. Notice what, notice what happens here. The Bible says in verse 4, Jesus said to her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now, this mount sounds elementary, and this mount may sound ridiculous, but this is my message this morning. Whatever he saith to you, do it. It don't matter if we like it. It don't matter if we don't approve of it, appreciate it, or see any significance in it. She didn't understand back here in Luke chapter number 2 all about what he was saying. But she understood there was some significance to it. But now here's the thing. Some more years have passed. And all these things that she's kept in her heart, not fully understanding it, but knowing that there was some significance to it. By being close to Jesus for the remainder of Jesus' earthly life, 
She was able to take some experiences that she had with Jesus that brought forth the words in which he said unto her and put life into those words. Let me say to you, you may read a verse of scripture today that you do not understand. There may be a verse of scripture today that you don't get the significance of it, but you know that it is significant because it's God's word. And you read it and you hear it and you hold on to it and you think about it and you dwell on it, but it don't make a whole lot of sense to you. By living close to Jesus and reading your Bible and serving the Lord and going through trials and tribulations and troubles and, and, and things that, that the Lord brings you through and teaches you through and, and it gives you lessons in these experiences of life, there'll be times, Brother Marvin, where Scripture comes to your mind and, and, and the Lord makes something real and reveals the reality of that Scripture that you did not understand. So here's what I want us to, to get at. Josiah understood there was significance to the word of God. And it changed his attitude and his life. Mary understood there was a significance to what Jesus had to say. But now here's what she's doing years later. Somewhere around the neighborhood of Jesus being 30 years old, we find that, that, that probably 18 years has passed since this instance in Luke chapter number 2. And we get down here to the, to the marriage at Cana. Undoubtedly, Mary must have known Jesus had the ability to do for them what nobody else could do. Now, what do you think brought that to her mind? I'll tell you what it was. Being close to Jesus every day of her life. Being close to Jesus every day of your life will cause you to see that he can do things for you that nobody else can do. And do things for others that no one else can do. I remember when he done something for me one day, Brother Shane, no one else could do. He saved my soul from hell. And I thank the Lord for that. But since then, he's done many, 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 many other things for me in my life. So the Bible says here, uh, the Bible says, Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now notice this. She didn't know how he would do it. <laughs> But she knew for sure that he could do it. I tell you what, I don't know how he does what he does. I don't know why he does what he does. But I don't have to know how and I don't have to know why to know that he's able. And to know that he's capable today of doing for you and for me what no one else could do. And I thank the Lord for that. So we find here we're seeing the significance in the word of God. Mary, Mary come to this place in her life. She goes, I don't have to know how. I don't have to understand the inner workings of it. I don't have to be God. I just have to be Mary. You know, she didn't have to be Jesus' father. She just had to be Jesus' mother. We don't have to be anything to Jesus except what we are, the bride of Christ. That weaker vessel that yields ourselves to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want you to see here. My simple thought is this, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. So what, what did he say unto us? Well, we better know what he says unto us. But here's what, I, here's what I'm driving at. Number one, we're, we're going to look at the revolution of revelation. But I, I do want us to see also there's a, there's a relaxation of the revelation. There's a relaxation of truth this morning. Now you would agree with me that the word of God is controversial. There's things in the word of God that, that is not people don't like it. There's things in the Word of God that, that quicken us and cause us to have to change. You understand that, that I am to preach the Word of God, right? 
I'm not to preach my opinions, but I'm to preach what thus saith the Lord God. And I get that from the Scripture. If Jesus preached the Scripture, if Abraham took the rich man to the Scripture, and you and I better understand we need to go to the Scripture, we're going to be judged by the Scripture. So understanding here, if I'm to preach the Word of God, then my preaching is going to be controversial. Now, as I said before, the idea is not to make the preaching uh, hateful, not the purpose to be mean, but understanding by nature the Word of God and God being different than man, that the Word of God is designed to change you. And the Word of God is designed to change me. Not, not because we don't like it. Listen, standard. And I'm not getting into these standards. That's later on. I'm working through this as the Lord shows me some things and deals with me. But I do want to say this about standards. God's Word provides for us some standards. Now let me say this, if you go get on a cruise liner and take you a cruise somewhere, you're going to find that as you board the boat, the ramp up to the boat has got some handrailing on it because it is there for your protection. There's a standard, there's a border that you don't cross. There's a, there's a defining line, Brother Shane, that if you cross that defining line, there is danger. When I go down to TVA, down below the dam, and I try to fish or something, there's some standards that you don't cross this point. There are signs that says danger. You get up 20 feet in the air, or, or 20 stories in the air, 10 stories in the air, you walk out onto a balcony somewhere, and you understand that balcony has a railing. Now, people's always trying to push the line. People's trying to change the standard. People's frustrated because there's something in their way. But what's in their way is there to protect us. It's to protect you. Sure, it's a defining line that says don't go past this point. Don't do this. This is not right. Well, everybody else is doing it. But if everybody else jumped off a bridge, you wouldn't, would you? Can I say to you, it was a crowd. Everybody wants to follow the crowd today. Do what the crowd does. Everybody else is doing it. It was a crowd that crucified our Lord. If you want to follow the crowd and you're a crowd follower, back in the, those days and times when Christ was being crucified, it would have been you standing there crying, crucify, crucify, crucify. He don't let Barabbas go. And it never was that they loved Barabbas. It was that they hated Jesus. There's a lot of things being let go today that's not right, but people's willing to let what's not right go to keep them having to deal with what they don't want to deal with. Nobody loved Barabbas. Barabbas was hated. The fact is they hated Jesus more. Standards, they're for a reason. So the Word of God and the preaching of the Word is designed to bring change to your life. And understand Jesus' life changed. And it changed for you. Everything Jesus done, he done for your benefit. Now guess what? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies living sacrifice, holy, accept only God, which is a reasonable service. Now we are living for him because he paid a great price for us. And so the word of God and the preaching of the word is designed to bring change to your life. You will find that people want it to say things that feel good. Can I say there's some things in God's word, Brother Gene, that feel good? For I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. For the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman under the law to redeem them that are under the law that might receive the adoption of sons. 
Luke 10, 20, Notwithstanding us, rejoice not that the spiritual subject is unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Isn't that good? Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? It's sweet and it's good, but that ain't all there is to it in the Word of God. The, everything in the New Testament was not written to the born-again believer. I mean, to the, to the lost soul, but it was written to the born-again believer. Much of what you find in the New Testament is written to the church. The church which was not even here, Brother Gene, until this fresh dispensation showed up. A lot of what's in the Word of God is for the dispensation in which you live in today. People say, don't take me back to the law. We live in the New Testament. There's a lot in this New Testament, friend, that shows us where we are supposed to stand and how you and I are supposed to live our life. And I don't, I don't, there's a lot in the Old Testament, friend, you and I still need to be looking at too. I don't need to get into all that right now. But the Bible says here uh, in uh, chapter number 2, verse number 5, His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. So let me say this. You'll find that people want it to say things, the Word of God, that feel good. And they are happy just the way they are. They don't want anything to offend them. They don't want anything to change them. They're happy with their lives. I've got a question for you this morning. Don't answer. No show of hands. Just think about my question. Are you happy just the way you are? If the Word of God never showed you anything wrong with your life ever again, are you happy just the way you are? Then let me ask you this question. Is He happy with you just the way you are? Now there's a a tendency... And for preachers today, and I, I'm doing my best not to pick on preachers, but there's a tendency today only to preach certain doctrines. And, and, and there's this tendency they don't want to preach certain truths in the Word of God. There's a tendency to preach easy things and preach salvation and preach love. And people get so accustomed, Brother Shane, to people preaching on love that they cannot take it when something quickens them or, or asks them to change in their life. And so understand today, if you will, that, that that tendency to only preach certain doctrines isn't right. What do you do when the Bible says preach the word? Well, they are preaching the word, preacher. What do you do with 2 Timothy 3.16? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What do you do with Acts 20, 27? For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. What do you do with 1 Timothy 4, 13? Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. What do you do with that? We see a relaxation of truth. Now notice with me, Romans 12 and 2 says, Be not conformed to this world. But be you transformed by the renewing of If all you ever heard was something that made you feel good about yourself, there would be nothing to correct you. Amen. Now, little, little Johnny may be real good. But the problem is little Johnny ain't never said told no about anything. He don't kick or scream or fight because he gets what he wants all the time. But you tell little Johnny no, and little Johnny gets in a foreign kicks and wells and fights and wallows and cries and screams and embarrasses you down at Walmart. You know why? Because you said no. There's a lot of people who have a problem with the Word of God, but the Word of God says no. When the Word of God says no, suddenly they rip the emergency brake up and they're sick and tired of hearing what you have to say. I'm happy with the way I am. Now notice the Bible says, be not conformed to this world. 
but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Preacher, I thought that any man in Christ was a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Yeah, the Holy Ghost on the inside is what made me a new creature. But what, my, what, what was old is still hanging around. I'm not the same creature that I was now that Jesus is on the inside. But I do have some things about me that ain't changed. That's still the same. My will is yielding to the Lord, but my flesh is still dirty, rotten, and wretched. And so the Bible says, be not conformed to this world. What does conform mean? To make like or to comply with or yield. First and foremost, Paul, you understand, in this epistle or in the book of Romans is saying, do not yield or comply with the things of the world. Running with a crowd is a pretty good indication right off the bat that you're not going in the right direction. Especially in the day and time that we live in today. So the Bible says here, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Conformed and transformed isn't the same thing. Conformed is yielding from what you already are into something else. Transform is to change the form of, to change shape or appearance. So conforming to the world is you yielding to what is but should not be. Transforming is you changing the form of in appearance. What are we doing with our appearance? We were made in the image of God, were we not? Our outside, somehow or another, according to Genesis, he made us in the image of God. But our inside was rotten and filthy. So the Lord Jesus moved on the inside. I became a new creature in Christ. All old things are passed away. All things are new. But guess what? I'm supposed to be renewing some things myself. May not conform to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that he may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How does my mind get renewed? It ain't on my own accord. It's from the Lord Jesus Christ. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Somebody that's not saved, say, preacher, that's talking to lost people. People that's lost already in the image of the world. When you get saved by the grace of God, you see that the world is wrong and God is right. And you say, I'm walking away from the world, I'm repenting, and I'm going to you, Lord. So you've stepped away from the world and, and you've, you've walked towards the Lord, but you've not yet uh, 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 progressively become like Him. You've been positionally sanctified. You've been imputed righteousness, but your flesh is still having to be put at bay. And it's an everyday occurrence. So the Bible says here, notice this in John 3 and 3. Jesus answered and said unto them, who are we talking about here? Nicodemus. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you see right off the bat? Terms and conditions. Jesus is offering salvation to all who will. But it's based on terms and conditions. Can I say to you, living for the Lord and going by His book, you can have fellowship with Him. Life can be wonderful. But I'll say this, and you can have peace and tranquility at home and in the church. But I do want you to understand it's based on His terms and His conditions. Where do these terms and conditions come from? This B-I-B-L-E right here. My Bible. What I stand on is the terms and conditions. You want to get on the internet and you want to order something or you want to use a website, you have to meet their terms and conditions. You go down here and you get a loan at the bank to buy something, you have to meet their terms and conditions. Jesus is no different. Why in the world will we expect everybody in the world to give us terms and conditions but expect the Lord not to have any? So we have terms and conditions. But what I find is there's this relaxation of truth. It's not that we're, you know, I'm not changing the truth. Eli didn't change the truth, Brother Shane. He just didn't take heed to it. 
There's some people, though, that want to relax the truth. Let's just relax it. Let's relax our standards. You can relax standards as long as you don't preach on them. You can relax on morals as long as you don't preach on them. As long as I preach Jesus Christ crucified. Listen, why did he die? He died because I was a sinner. I was no good. I wouldn't need him if I was okay. But we, we only preach a portion of it. But, but then I want to see this. There's not only this relaxation of truth. We'll only preach certain doctrines. We'll only preach certain parts of the Bible. The, the, but then we see this, this revolutionizing the truth. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a revolutionizing of the truth. Now a revolution is entire change in the constitution of government. We think about the Revolutionary War. Well, let me explain to you what this is about revolutionizing God's word. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. The sound doctrine is still here. Amen? Why? Because it's preserved. Amen. Sound doctrine is here because Psalms 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words of silver, tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. So let me say this. There are some people that try to make the word of God say something that it does not say. To make them feel okay living the way that they should not live. And some people will take certain verses of the Bible and they'll take them out of context or they'll, they'll say, judge not now, let's don't judge. Don't judge. Paul tells us how we are to judge. You can, go to the, the, you can go to the book of 1 Corinthians and find how you are to judge. For man's not to go against, the, we're not to go to the law. We're not, we're not to go to law against one another before civil courts, Brother Gene. Why? Because I could not let a civil court judge between you and I on spiritual matters. And it can be you and I having an eternal problem about something worldly. You and I can have a problem about land. You and I, by the word of God, should not go to court over it, Brother Gene. But you know what's to happen? We're to find somebody that's esteemed the lowest as the low in the house of God. And that person should help you and I figure out by judging with the word of God how you and I are to work this problem out. The Bible says, don't you not understand you're going to judge angels? Do you not understand these things? Listen, judgment begins at the house of God. And so here's what I'm saying to you. The Bible says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust. You know what's the problem and has been the problem throughout all of eternity, all of, all of time? is lust. What man wants. But this gets to me. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers. Now, we've talked about this, and I didn't correlate this, but, but the other Wednesday night we're talking about pastors being have to teach. And we're talking about women learning in the church and, and have to teach and things about that, the, those nature. But the Bible says, shall they heap to themselves teachers? What's a teacher for? Why did God provide for that, 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 that a pastor be apt to teach? Because somebody needs to learn something. So here's what I want you to see. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heed to themselves teachers. They want teachers. They want teachers, but they don't want sound doctrine. That's 
What are they wanting? They're wanting to, to revolutionize the truth. They want to be taught. They want somebody to tell them something. But they don't want the doctrine. They don't want the truth. Oh, we'll sit at God's house. We'll listen to the preacher preach until he preaches something that goes against what we like. And then we're going to get mad and we're going to get ticked off at the preacher when in all reality you're mad at God's word. But what people are desiring in this day for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. I think we're there. I think we're there. But after their own lust shall they heed to themselves teachers having its years. Oh, we want to learn. We want God's word. But we don't want no truth in it. Just give us what feels good and then when it don't feel good we're going to revolutionize the truth. There's houses of worship today where they're revolutionizing the truth. Where they're standing up proclaiming what God's word says but they adulterated it. What good's that doing? It's making them feel good. They're packed out today. They sway in worship in the worship hour. And somebody's got up and tickled their ears and told them what they wanted to hear. And they'll leave today with a smile on their face. They'll go down to the restaurant and eat lunch. They'll cut up and have a good time. They'll find something to do later on today and all will be well. But guess what? What they was preached that morning won't be used at the judgment seat of Christ. That won't be the standard in which they're judged by. So if we're going to be judged by something different, don't you think you and I ought to have the opportunity to at least hear what thus saith the Lord? We're going to hear it one day anyway. So there's some people that won't bow today, but they're going to bow later, right? There's some people that won't hear today, but guess what? You're going to hear later. So you might as well just smile. Know that Jesus loves you. That the boundaries on the 20th floor of the balcony is there for a reason. It's to keep you from falling off and getting hurt and dying. Lord don't want us to draw up and die spiritually. He came that we may have life and have it more abundantly. I have an abundant life in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have trouble like everybody else, trials like everybody else, but I've got a God that leads me and guides me and cares for me and protects me and he puts boundaries up for my benefit. And I thank God for that. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but their own lust shall they heap themselves teachers. They want teachers. They say they're willing to learn. But what they want to hear, they only want to hear what makes them feel good. Now I want to say this. Why do they need teachers if they know that they don't want sound doctrine? To know you don't want sound doctrine, though, Gene, has to give you some indication of what sound doctrine is. Or, or, or it just means that anything that goes against your way of thinking, you don't want nothing to do with it. Now, I asked you earlier, are you happy the way that you are? Some people have the attitude, I won't serve a God that'll send people to hell. He's into himself. God's into himself. God's not, God is holy. We're not. We can't think like God. But what you're saying when you're willing to revolutionize the truth is you want what God says to change to be what you want and what you like. And you'll only accept what you like and what you want, but you won't accept what he likes and what he wants. Now what you've done is you're saying, I can't serve a God that won't allow me to do what I want to do. I can't worship a God that won't allow me to have it my way. Well, if his way ain't the right way and yours are, maybe we need to worship you but worshiping him. Now, are you worshipful? Are, are you, are you, do you have the, uh, the, the, the attitude of the attributes that we should worship you this morning? 
Will I ever get to the place where I don't want to hear what God has to say, but what I think is what matters? So, Brother Shane, you quit worshiping God. And when you come in Wednesday night, you make sure that you pray to me and you worship me. And it's all about me. Because it's what I like and what I think that matters. Listen, we all have the ability to get to the place in our life where there's some things in God's Word we don't like. And we think we'd like to change it, but it's not for our best benefit to do that. He is who we worship. He is truth. Thy word is truth. Do not revolutionize the truth. Do not relax the truth. But study to show thyself approved unto God. Not me, not your neighbor, not your husband, not your children, not your wives, not your grandparents, not your aunts, not your uncles, not anybody. But study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. It is a shame. For us to go our whole life wanting to relax the truth, revolutionize the truth, but never yielding to the truth. The truth is here to change us. Can I say you may be happy where you're at today, but I'm going to go ahead and say this on the authority of God's word. He's not. Can I say to you, God's not happy with where I'm at, Brother Gene. God does not expect me, for me to say that I'm where I'm at today and will be this way forever means I obviously have arrived. And none of us have arrived. So I'm going to say this, till you draw your last breath, you need to be moving on up. And if you're not moving on up because you're just happy with how things are in your life today, let me, let me go ahead and leave this you know, little secret. God isn't. And God isn't impressed with what you know. God isn't impressed by your life. God will be impressed when you yield yourself to his word because his word is what impresses him. And it's his word that you will be judged by. And so let me say this, as before we, before, and I, I'm done this morning. I'm not going to move on into this any farther. I'll, I'll continue on as the Lord sees fit as we're working through this little series here on reverencing the Word of God. But I want us to understand something. We cannot relax the truth. We cannot revolutionize the truth. We have to yield to the truth. Hosea said, my people, Hosea 4 and 6 said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And everybody seems to stop right there. But he says, because thou hast rejected Amen. knowledge. Amen. You know what happens when you're happy just the way you are? And you don't want to hear what God's word has to say about it? Then I'm going to tell you something. What you've done is you're rejecting God's word. So there's, there's three problems. There's a revolutionization. There's revolutionary. Or revolutionizing the truth. They're relaxing the truth. And then there's rejecting of the truth. And you may not reject the truth. But if you're trying to revolutionize it, that's the same as. You may not think you're rejecting the truth, but if you're trying to only hear the good and sweet things of the Word of God, you're rejecting the truth. Amen. Only taking a portion of what God's Word said and throwing the other part away is not accepting what God has to say. And I promise you it won't be just the wonderful, sweet, and glorious things of the Word of God that you'll be judged by, but there's a lot of thou shalt nots that's going to be brought up at the judgment seat of Christ. So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying this, he preserved his word not only to judge us by. I'll tell you what it's like having. Sister, if you'll come to the piano, let's all stand to our feet. It's like knowing that you've got an open, it's, it's, it's like knowing that you've got a test coming up on Friday, Brother Shane. And, and the teacher, because the Bible says that our, our Lord is a guide. Our, our tutor, our teacher, tells us that we're going to have an exam on Friday. And the teacher says, study to show yourself approved. 
a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Because that test is coming on Friday. Understand that when that teacher grades that test, the information that you should have been learning for that test is what's going to make the grade for your test. But let me tell you what the Lord done. The Lord said, I'm going to judge you by my book. And you need to study for, for, for the test. But I'm going to give you the book and I'm going to give you the answers in the book. And if you fail the test, it won't be my fault because not only did I teach you, not only did I guide you, not only did I help you, but I preserved the truth for you and then I give you the book and said, here's the answers. And if you don't like the answers, it ain't going to change the grade. You're either going to have to comply with the truth or not comply with the truth, but the truth won't change for you. The truth is here to change you. We are not here to change the truth. Take it for what it is. Understand that the, the hedges and the, and the barriers and the, the lines in the sand are there for your protection. Don't be a rebel to God's protection. Because if you cross the barrier, if you know better than God, you ignore the standards, you ignore the lines, what's on the other side of that barrier is danger. And there's some people that fell from the 20th floor of the balcony and died in the street because they didn't accept the standards and the barriers that were placed for them for their protection. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around while she plays. Maybe you need to do business with God. Josiah learned about God's word and it, was, it made an impact on him, his family, and his nation. Eli knew the word of God, was put in the position uh, of hierarchy in, in, in the work of God, and he did not restrain his sons by the word of God. And it caused them the power of God. Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew he would be great, knew he would be wonderful, knew he was the son of God. Yet 12 years into her ritual and her, her, her past and doing all that she knew she should do from an obligation standpoint, lost Jesus, went back and got on to him, and he was down there doing God's work. But she hid the things that he said in her heart knowing that the things that he said were there and they were significant. And as she learned and stayed close to him day in and day out, she began to understand what those things meant. And when they got down there to the wedding that day and there was no wine, she told Jesus, she goes, they don't have any. They don't have any. She turned to her Savior. She turned to the Messiah, the one that could do something about it. And then she told those to do what he says do. Are you doing this morning what he says? Are you trying to revolutionize what he says? Are you trying to change what he says? Are you trying to relax what he says? Friend, just listen to what he says this morning. While she plays, if you need to come, you come.